Hello and welcome to episode 939 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, presented by our Patreon supporters and the Play Index at BaseballReference.com. I am Ben Lindbergh of The Ringer, joined by Sam Miller of Baseball Prospectus. Hello, Sam. Yep. A couple times already this year, we have had occasion to talk about stadium funding deals and the ways in which the public seems to be wronged by owners who make lots of money off of local officials' willingness to rubber stamp anything that franchises want. And we talked about this briefly in episode 911, that was about the Rangers' new ballpark and the discussion of that in Arlington. And then back in episode 873, we did a whole episode on the Braves, who are the masters, the evil masters of this practice and are uh, doing the best they can to get stadiums for free at every level of their system, most notably in AAA and Cobb County and also in Atlanta with their new stadium, SunTrust Park, that's opening next year. So... It's been a bleak landscape of teams getting away with this and and very few local communities seeming to stand up in opposition. But there is one lone hero who has arisen to take on the teams, and his name is Tim Kellison. He is an assistant professor in sports administration at Georgia State University, and he is also the director of a new initiative called the Sports and Urban Policy Initiative, which is based in Atlanta and run by Georgia State University's Department of Kinesiology and Health. Tim, hello. Welcome. God, you guys are getting me in so much trouble already, but thanks for having me on anyway. <laughs> you didn't say any of that. It was all me. That's so right. That's you all your blanks. <laughs> <laughs> so I assume it's not a complete coincidence that you are near the Atlanta epicenter of the stadium funding battles these days? No, uh, it's not a coincidence. And, you know, Atlanta has been, as you said, kind of a, a focal point for this kind of stuff. And it didn't start here. It didn't start with the Olympics. You know, there's just Atlanta and its stadiums have a long, illustrious past. And um, I don't see that changing anytime in the future, depending on what side you're on, you know, unfortunately or fortunately. So how did you get the idea to do something about this? Because everyone laments it or lots of people in the media lament it, but it keeps happening over and over. And so how did you decide to be the one to try to at least offer some information that could counter the misinformation that gets bandied about? Yeah, well, uh, Georgia State, the university as a whole has as part of its strategic initiative, uh, this idea of uh, as an urban university in downtown Atlanta, uh, you, you can't really separate the, the academic world from uh, what's happening out in the, in the city. So uh, as one of its goals, it's to kind of address the issues that challenge uh, modern cities. And uh, certainly there's some huge overlap, we think. Uh, with stadium financing and, and just professional and collegiate big time sports in general, um, with uh, kind of the urban landscape and the way that it impacts sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse, uh, you know, local citizens and those those folks living in and around uh, kind of the stadium footprint. So that's kind of the impetus for the the initiative, at least for our focus on stadiums and development. We also, as part of our goals of, of trying to solve some of those problems, I shouldn't say solve, uh, at least bringing to light some of those problems, uh, 
we also uh, have a focus on environmental sustainability, which again overlaps with uh, stadium design and kind of the the strategic initiatives that teams have, and also community engagement. But yeah, the big one seems to be stadiums and development. That's certainly the the big money one, uh, and that attracts a lot of attention in the press and among citizens, as as it rightfully should, I think. So Ben used the word uh, misinformation, and among the um, you know roughly twenty six people in the world that I actually know, pretty much all of them probably are aware that stadiums are a bad deal for municipalities. But I'm curious if you have a sense of how widespread the misinformation is, if there's any way to put it in perspective. And and particularly, I'm like the Braves got their stadium, not by public referendum, but because a city council approved it, if I'm not mistaken, right? And you're right. I'm curious when when, you know, municipalities actually put this up to a vote, how gullible are the voters actually? I won't speak to their gullibleness, but I will speak to how often it, it passes or fails. It seems like since 2000, there's been, uh, let's see, probably 12 to 13 public stadium votes uh, that have affected big league teams. And they've got a pretty decent track record. About half of them have passed. Uh, another half have failed. So the Islanders were unsuccessful a few years back. And now they're at the Barclays Center, at least for the for, I don't know, another season maybe, and they're already looking for other places to go. Sacramento Kings have had problems, uh, but for the most part, teams teams can be successful. And uh, a lot of the research that I've looked at uh, that has been done talks about uh, the different ways in which uh, these stadium votes can be successful. But I think the bigger picture is that these votes are pretty rare, that the the upcoming one in Arlington is not all that common. So often we think, well, voters, you know, have a say one way or the other. But for the vast majority of stadium issues in North America, it's almost entirely done the way the, the Cobb County one was done, which is by uh, elected officials, usually county commissioners uh, or city council members or both. And do you have a sense of, well, I don't, there's probably no way of really putting a number on this, but how much of the sales pitch to the public is generally based on a financial improvement and not the sort of things that while perhaps intangible uh, and perhaps more, you know, sort of quality of life based might still be, you know, they are at least real. Like you you cannot deny that, <laughs> that uh, you know, a baseball team is playing there. Uh, you can deny whether it's actually a good investment or not. Right. I think that uh, traditionally, historically, that's the the message that teams have been promoting, or at least the, those pro-subsidy uh, groups. They're not always the teams uh, themselves, but they also local official, officials or business leaders uh, or a combination of all those. Uh, it almost, uh, you know, over the history of these, these issues, the economic impact has always been a, a very uh, significant aspect of a uh, campaign to get a publicly financed stadium. I will say that in the last couple of years, though, it seems that teams have kind of moved away from this. I, I think that uh, in some ways, citizens uh, in different parts of, of the United States, at least, are becoming more aware of the uh, the research that's been out there, which is almost entirely 100% universally uh, sponsored or, uh, you know, impartial researchers, especially economists have found that the, uh, the public investment never, never is realized through economic impact. So the economic impact is never going to equal the amount of uh, money that's invested by the public on these on these issues on these uh, plans. Who does the research that does purport to show an economic impact? 
those are uh, typically just consultants uh, who are hired, private consultants for the most part, uh, typically from firms, uh, some that are well-known, uh, that are hired to, whether impartial or not, for the most part, if they're finding a huge economic impact, we would argue that it's it, it can't be uh, impartial because uh, the independent research that's been conducted for years, um, it's consistent. It's one of the, f- the few things that I think economists really have agreed a- uh, about is that these economic impacts uh, are much, much lower than what a team usually purports them to be. You mentioned a couple of cases where this didn't work for teams and those were non-baseball examples. Do you have any sense of whether baseball teams have a better record of getting these things through than owners in other sports? I'm, I'm thinking maybe because, you know, baseball's audience skews older, maybe, you know, those baseball fans are more likely to be voting in these referenda or to be on the local city council or, you know, maybe because of baseball's long history, there are more deep roots in the local community, that kind of thing. But I don't know whether that holds up to the data. Yeah, the fact is the sample size is just too small to kind of pull any of that uh, analysis out. Um, If we look back again, it's going back to 2000, it looks like Major league uh, centered stadium votes, there's been uh, two. The Rangers will be the third one. And uh, so the, the first one was the Rangers, uh, or sorry, the Royals and the Chiefs back in 2006, one of which passed and the other. So they were kind of bundled together. One was for the rolling roof uh, that they talked about a while ago. So one of those passed. And then the Indians uh, most recently got a, a vote passed, but it was bundled with the Cavaliers and Browns. So it was kind of, it was an extension of a syntax uh, to for all the stadiums in Cleveland. Uh, so the sample size is just too small to kind of pull any of that stuff out. And it goes, again, to speak to the, the fact that these stadium votes are pretty rare, at least uh, in terms of citizens and uh, you know local voters having a, a direct say. And of the ongoing flare-ups in this ongoing war, I, I guess there's, what, the, the Braves at multiple levels, the Rangers and the Diamondbacks have one going on too about repairs and whether the city is liable for those. Is there one that has the best chance of not working out in the team's favor yeah well yeah you named the the three ones for this week but it's tough to say what what will be next week the braves uh will obviously that that stadium's very far along now uh gets further along every week uh i will say that uh a recent i guess the last bit of public say in in this was uh, during the runoff election with the uh, at the county level of uh, Cobb County, where Tim Lee was kind of the architect for this deal, um, he was uh, ousted by uh, a challenger who b- was new to politics and basically made it a, a one-issue uh, re-election case, um, which was about the Cobb Stadium and and uh, Mike Boyce. He was he's the opponent who subsequently won in a runoff. Uh, he didn't say anything necessarily bad about the stadium. He was, he said he didn't oppose it, but he was uh, against the way in which the decision was made, which is kind of quickly and uh, without Cobb voters um, really getting much insight and transparency on the issue. The Arlington ones uh, I'm obviously interested in because it's going to be one of those public votes that we don't see very often. So uh, as polls, maybe if they start coming out, I don't know if there will be any polling done. Uh, certainly, that's something we'd be interested in looking at as what our voters saying, uh, how does that break down by by race and gender and all the other demographics that we often look at. 
And then, uh, yeah, this, this Diamondbacks one's new, uh, and I've just been following it. It's almost like a tabloid uh, about the political infighting that takes place. And it does speak to kind of the, the politics that does uh, kind of underlie all these issues that uh, we aren't often privy to, but uh, certainly makes for interesting reading. It seems like the Braves scheme or whatever word of um, having their minor league affiliates also get stadium funding is sort of a very different class because, I mean, in the one, you know, for a major league team, uh, for a major league city, having a team in your city is, uh, you know, it's kind of a prestige thing. It puts you on on the map and and establishes that you're, you know, a real city. Uh, whereas the minor league stuff, it's really like, I, I would imagine that the benefit is really does boil down almost exclusively to, you know, how many vending jobs you have and, and how many, um, how much money goes into development of the park and that sort of stuff. So is, is one of those is, I guess I, I would ask if the research on those, uh, two different kind of categories is fairly consistent or uh, if there is any better or worse case, uh, to be made for the minor league parks compared to the major league parks. Yeah, I think that uh, it's worth noting there's there hasn't been a lot of research done outside of kind of the big pro levels. Certainly, there's been some stuff on spring training stadiums, uh, on some minor league stuff. Uh, I usually approach it just by a case-by-case, on a case-by-case basis. So certainly some of those smaller market teams that are AAA, even AA, they do see some benefit, uh, but they're also not investing uh, a whole lot of money. In some cases, they are. And when they are investing a lot of money, they just have to, I think it's important that local citizens realize that, like this is not going to drive your economy. Um, certainly, it's going to be something fun for your family to go see, uh, maybe. But yeah, I always just take it on a case-by-case basis. I think that for those smaller market teams, uh, even at the pro level, there aren't that many, but there's something that can be pulled out of that or something that can be said about what those stadiums do for uh, their local economy, but still, it's very minimal. I would never say, "Go ahead, public support this 100." Uh, percent There, in, in my view, uh, there's always got to be some sort of partnership, and a partnership isn't just a you know a 90 percent public, 10 percent private kind of breakdown. It's got to be uh, much more equitable. To your knowledge, is there any example from the past of a city where, in fact, it did make a big difference on the economy that it bumped them into some extra new tier of economic development or something and, and provided an example that all these other parks, all these other cities hold up. Yeah. Okay. So I'll try to answer this in a non-economist way because I don't want to offend real economists. I'm certainly not one. Uh, I, I study what they've, what they've written. So most of the places today that are popular, they're often cited as a, uh, as a real opportunity to turn around an economy or to revitalize an area uh, are these places that are basically districts, uh, entertainment districts. So Cobb, uh, the SunTrust Park development is not just going to be a stadium, but it's also going to be a part of the Battery Atlanta, which is going to have shops and all this uh, private investment that will help support or complement the stadium itself. Uh, Historically, Nationwide Arena in Columbus, Ohio was uh, one that was thought to be uh, a good marker of success. And it has dramatically uh, changed the downtown area of Columbus. But part of the appeal of that stadium was, uh, of that arena for the the Blue Jackets, the NHL team, was that it was uh, originally developed privately, uh, that the public voted to uh, on the issue, and they 
opposed it. So they lost the referendum. And as a, as a result, uh, the stadium still was built, but it was just built privately, which is how we tend to think these things should work. That if voters say, no, we don't want to spend any money, if private owners or uh, developers still want to build it, they'll build it with their own money. And so historically, that was a, a good case. Uh, Nationwide has since uh, changed a little bit. Uh, the ownership is now uh, at the county level um, that the city and county now own Nationwide Arena. So that's that's changed a bit, but that's all, that's usually one that uh, I think in Edmonton, they're trying to build a new uh, hockey arena. They're working to build one and that was they're trying to base it off of the nationwide arena uh, impact. But again, a lot of it has to deal with, okay, well, how much money is being invested in these uh, public versus private? So to bring it back to the sports and urban policy initiative, what are you working on and what are you hoping to accomplish? Yeah. uh, Well, one of our goals, uh, one of the initiatives that we have in the initiative that was clever uh, is uh, our Stadia Track data source, uh, which is basically uh, a breakdown of some of the data I've already cited. Uh, At StadiaTrack.com, you can look at the uh, history of the public stadium referendum since 2000. Uh, Again, it's a short list, uh, but we try to put it there so people have at least a sense of how often these things happen. And then that can be compared with another data set we have that focuses on all of the professional sports stadiums receiving public funding since 2005, which uh, when you total it up, it's uh, $22 billion of stadiums uh, have been constructed since 2005, almost $11 billion of which has been from the public. And if you break that down even further, $9.5 billion have been uh, spent without a public vote on these issues. So that's, you know, depending on how you're measuring that, it's uh, either a, a very large amount or maybe not so much. Depends on which side you're on, probably. Uh, so that's one uh, aspect of the of the initiative that we're focusing on. Uh, I'm currently in South Africa uh, and part of what we're doing here is we're working with some colleagues at in Cape Town and Pretoria where we're measuring the impact uh, or hoping to measure the impact of uh, some of the stadiums first that were built for the uh, World Cup uh, and then looking to expand on that. Uh, how that's impacted, if any, uh, local citizens here, it just goes to show that this isn't uh, limited to local politics or state or national, that these things exist all over the world. And certainly uh, with these big mega events, if you read about what's going on in Rio or what's happening in Qatar, uh, what happened in South Africa. Certainly these things um, kind of follow us around wherever we go. Can you give us any sense of how you try to assess that impact? I mean, what measures do you look at? What data can you draw on? Yeah. Uh, well, I think that uh, we tend to look at kind of the individual stories. from a We take it from a public policy perspective uh, versus just measuring economic impact. So we want to understand uh, the effects of for example, uh, revitalization and then displacement of citizens. Uh, And so most of this is less quantitative and more focuses on a qualitative side, Uh, at least during the fact-finding mission that we have. We're just trying to understand some of the narratives and some of the the stories of uh, those folks who uh, have been impacted. Um, That's been a big part of the the literature, particularly in, in Atlanta, focusing on the impact of uh, on the neighborhoods surrounding Turner Field and Summerhill and Peoplestown and Mechanics 
Ville and all these uh, you know, other local neighborhoods. So we focus more or we're focusing more right now on, on uh, you know, those individual stories and then try to grow that and focusing on more quantitative measures, which economists have looked at, which is local spending uh, and so on. And do you think that a lack of information is high up on the reasons for why these things have gotten approved in the past? Or do you think that, you know, there are just all of these incentives that these local officials have that either they're reading the research and disregarding it, or they just aren't interested in looking and, you know, might not even be interested if someone told them it was there. Yeah, it, it really, it depends on how I'm feeling on a given day. Some days I, I feel <laughs> optimistic and I think, you know, this information is it's just missing. And uh, as the public becomes more and more aware of, uh, of spending, or at least has a better idea of, you know, where their money is going, uh, at least they can give that a fair evaluation. Um, and so if they go to a a referendum or a ballot box, they, they'll have all the information they need to make a, a well-reasoned decision. And then it's up to them if they, if they want to invest uh, and they realize that the economic impact will not be as high, but maybe there's, uh, you know, a public image impact or, uh, you know, source of pride, or you just don't want to see your team leave. You know, I think that's, that's part of democracy. However, other days I think, well, you know, given this information, I don't know how you could vote in, you know, any other way. And so, I, I don't know. Today I feel okay about it. Tomorrow I might feel you know less optimistic about information. Certainly, the research has shown uh, some folks like Rod Ford has, have found that you know even if you get this information out, uh, to me a referendum is a is a good uh, is something that we look for a goal that we strive toward. But uh, research shows that even in those cases they get all messed up too. The voters don't always know what they want uh, or, or don't always know what they're voting for, that uh, the median voter doesn't always get what she or he wants in, in an outcome, that those anti-subsidy groups are significantly outspent. It's much harder for them to to get together and collaborate and uh, to kind of create some sort of momentum against uh, all the, the economic engine that's helping promote a pro-subsidy thing. So, yeah, I don't know. That that was the terrible answer because I just end up not knowing at all. Every time we talk about this on this show, we it seems like we always end up with this depressing <laughs> resignation to the fact that people just like to have, I mean, like city council people, I think just really like to say they built that stadium. Like they like to build, I, I would bet that, if you had a referendum or if you had a city council consider a, say, $600 million, you know, public subsidy of a stadium, and you told them there would be zero economic economic benefit, that it would just be $600 million going from the city to the team, like, I bet you'd still get 30% in November <laughs> in favor of it because people just like stadiums. It's kind of crazy. Or maybe it's not. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. I mean, I, I like stadiums too. Uh, and <laughs> I don't know that I would vote you know, against every single stadium subsidy referendum that was out there. Um, I certainly think that there's value in in keeping teams in your cities. Uh, I just think that, again, citizens should have a, f- a full understanding of, of what it means. And, uh, you know, I grew up as a sports fan. That's why I decided to, you know, make it a career uh, to study s- sports issues. Uh, but I think that... Uh, I've grown maybe not wiser, but at least I know more. Uh, I, I don't know that I always use that information well, um, but I think that I sometimes it's easier for me now to say, well, the city would be okay with 
that team moving somewhere else. And teams, people sometimes just need to let things go. Uh, but certainly that's easy for me to say because um, I don't really care about the Braves. I'll probably go to the games no matter what. But, you know, I just won't have to spend my tax dollars on it anymore. That's Cobb voters now and I'm in DeKalb County. <laughs> All right. So you mentioned the information you're trying to gather in South Africa. Is there anything else that you are trying to add to the site or trying to add to your database that people might expect would be available sometime soon? Yeah. So uh, one of our challenges, I'm speaking on behalf of all academics in the world now, that our research is boring and doesn't always, it's hard to, to find. And when you do find it, it doesn't seem like it's saying anything. So part of what we're trying to do is take some of the research we're doing at Georgia State and with our colleagues across uh, you know, around the world now um, and trying to make it more palatable to the public to just create some more understanding. So as we uh, develop more relationships and as we publish more research, we're going to not only put it in these hard to find peer reviewed journals, but we're also going to speak to, uh, or put it in a plainer language, language that I, uh, you can tell by the way I talk that I, I speak a little more down to a level of, well, see, I came and I came and formulate a sentence right now. So, uh, to make it more publicly palatable, I suppose. Um, and so I would say, check the website, uh, for more development. Hopefully, uh, you know, the press plays an important role. Uh, certainly, we think the public understanding is uh, critical to these things. And we researchers, we don't do a good, very good job of that. But we do rely on, uh, you know, resources like the one I'm talking on now to kind of help further this conversation. I think that's where the important work lies. So we're trying to, you know, create some more understanding of, of these issues, um, you know, through people like you. Yeah, well, so tell everyone where they can find you, where they can find information about the program, where they can see the data, whatever you want to plug. Go ahead. Thanks. Okay, so the uh, Sport and Urban Policy Initiative, you can find us easily at uh, www.stadiatrack.com. That'll get you to our data set, and then you can find more stuff out about the initiative there. Certainly, if you're interested in these issues more, you can always email me. Uh, at tkellison at gsu.edu. I'm happy to talk at, to anyone, really. Uh, but yeah, usually it's just my mom calling me. So I'm happy to talk to anyone who seems to have more interest in, in these issues than she does. <laughs> All right. And everyone can also find Tim on Twitter at tbkellison. Tim, thank you very much for starting this and for filling us in. Thanks, fellas. Thank you very much for uh, having me on and, uh, like I said, keeping this narrative going. Okay, so that is it for today. You can support the podcast by going to patreon.com slash effectivelywild. Five listeners who have already supported the podcast on Patreon are Andy Carl, Brett O'Neill, Andrew Patrick, Edward Colladin, and Eric Sorensen. Thank you. You can buy our book, The Only Rule Is It Has to Work, our wild experiment building a new kind of baseball team. Go to the website for the book at theonlyrulesithastowork.com for more information, and please leave us a review on Amazon and Goodreads if you like it. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash effectivelywild, and you can rate and review and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Get the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription to the Play Index by going to baseballreference.com and using the coupon code BP when you sign up. That's it for this week. If you're at Sabre Seminar this weekend or in Boston or at the Red Sox game on Saturday, I hope you'll say hello to me and Sam. For those of you who aren't there, hopefully you'll hear our recorded live show sometime soon. So have a nice weekend, and we will talk to you next week. Thanks for the information.
Forward. 